You can go ahead and take a seat, ladies. Praise the Lord, right? You know, that's the kind of blessing that you get to hear as you walk in the Father's house. And I just want to thank Amber for leading us in worship. And um, she's such a joy. And as you get to know her this weekend, you're going to find that. And we've just enjoyed having her here. She came as a participant the first year. And then we just started kind of roping her in, you know. And um, we just you just don't know how much time she puts into getting all this prepared on top of a very, very full life that she has back in Maryland. So we're really appreciative of that. I hope you enjoyed your dinner and the sweet sisterhood time that you had around the table. And there's definitely more of that to come in the way of food this weekend, right? How about that good, good salad, right? Good, good salad. So I'm calling our cooks this weekend the Julie Cooks and Kim. So you can thank them for the work that they do and really appreciate that. And there's definitely more to come in the way of friendship too. So hopefully you started making some new friends around the table. And thank you to those of you who led. And I'm sure you did a great job. I know Christy did a great job at our little group. So just really appreciate that. So some good things already happening, right, in the Father's house this weekend. So I hope you brought your folders with you, right? So we're going to all have these folders with us, and you've got your Bibles, and you've got your journals, so we've got all kinds of stuff right in our hands, and we're going to use all of it tonight, all of it tonight. So we're going to start, though, with our Bibles, and we're going to start with our journals. So those little blue journals, make sure you have the one that has your name on it. So... <laughs> If you have been a part of EF gatherings before, you know that we like to get creative about ways to get into our Bibles and to dig in them and to use them in whatever way we can to let the living Word of God get into us. I, I say this often, but I know some of you are new to me, so I want to say this from the beginning of our time together. This is not a book. Right? This looks like a book. It sells in bookstores. You order it like a book, but it's not a book. This is the living, active Word of God, and we have to begin to think of it like that. We hold a treasure in our hands. And so whatever way that we can get into this Word so that this Word can get into us, we want to take hold of that. Well, one of the things that we have found over the years that is really helpful for making that dynamic happen is just basic scripture copying because it helps us to take in every word. And this weekend, we're going to use scripture copying a lot. And that's what those journals are for. And I really hope that it's a practice that you're going to begin to incorporate into just your own times um, with God. Now, I do want to say this before we get started. I know that probably there's somebody in the room, maybe more than one, who sometime during your life, maybe in your home or the Christian school that you went to or whatever, scripture copying was given to you as a form of punishment, okay? And some of you might be like, what? Yes, well, that has happened many times over. And um, if, you, if that has been your experience, I just want to take a big eraser from heaven right now and just wipe that clean, okay? Because scripture copying is anything but punishment. It is an absolute privilege because it puts us in a position to really meditate on the word of God. And so we're going to take this word that we hold in our hands tonight and we're going to use this privilege and we're going to copy scripture. So every time that we gather together for some Bible study, we're going to give you some very intentional passages to copy. They're going to be some of the ones that we're going to be um, referencing during the message. So you're going to have had some interaction with them before we even, you know, get going in on the teaching. We're going to do that in these little blue journals. Now, these are not like magic journals or anything. So if you have some other paper or a journal that you brought with you and you'd rather use that, that's fine too. Okay. But we do want to encourage you um, to copy couple encouragements before we get started and we give you the list that we're going to start with before the teaching tonight, okay? If you don't finish all the scriptures in the time that we give you, don't stress out, okay? It's not about checking off to say, ooh, I finished first, right? Or, and we have a tendency to just do that even within ourselves, especially if you're the same Enneagram number that I am, okay? So, um, and we won't even get into all of that, but don't worry about it, okay? If you don't get them all done, that's okay. Just jot down the, the addresses of the scripture, and maybe you can do it another time, or the ones that you did copy, 
that's great, okay? So just remember it's a privilege, not a task. And I also want to acknowledge, I know some of us are maybe new in our Bibles, and maybe you're not really sure how to navigate around in your Bibles, and you're like, I don't know where that book is. Like, I don't know the orders of the Bible books, and that's fine too. I encourage you, you can use the, um, the table of contents in the front, or if you just really need some help, um, I've already copied them, okay? And so I'm happy to come over and help you find that or whatever. So we're all on a journey, right? And nobody's looking at you going, wow, you're not keeping up there. You know, it's none of that, okay? It's just we want to copy God's word. And it's a privilege for all of us to get to do it whatever place we're at on the journey. It's not about getting all of them done, okay? We just want to take some time to take a breath and start copying and penning down these words and just give the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to begin to get them into our hearts before we really start to talk about them, okay? So we're gonna have some light music playing in the background. I know for some, that's a little bit of a distraction. We'll try for it not to be. We'll try to find that sweet spot of volume, okay, for that. And Amber's gonna go ahead and pop that slide up on there and so you can see what those scriptures are and you can just begin to copy them down into your journals or wherever you choose to copy them, okay? We'll take about 10 minutes or so to do this. Lord, what a beautiful sound it is to hear the rustling of pages of your word and a beautiful sight to just see eyes gazing down and pens moving and knowing that our hearts are taking in the words that you have given us, God, as the voice from heaven. And so, God, I just pray that these words are going to speak to us tonight, that you're going to speak to us tonight, God. We want you in the room. You're our Father, Lord. We want to hear from you. We need to be in your presence, God. And so I just pray that your presence would be right here in this room speaking, God, as we dig in. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, all righty, ladies. Um, as we get started, I want to note, I mentioned this earlier, but you've got a paper in your, in your folder if you want to take notes for our time together tonight. For this message that's really called the long way home and there's a lot of stuff I know you're like I got a notebook and I got a Bible and I got a pen and I got a folder and I got all this stuff and you might feel like get away from me I need space right but just know that um, it's gonna all work out you're getting you're gonna feel settled in it's always the first night it's a little bit of you know just that awkward but and if it if it's not enough already I'm gonna give you one more thing <laughs> okay just when you were starting to feel settled so Sarah, if you want to help me a little bit. Um, but we want to give you one of these cards, okay? And um, I'm just going to put some here. And I'm going to give Cheryl, if you'll help out too, if you don't mind. It's calling out some helpers here in the room. But let me tell you a little bit about what this is. You're going to notice that those words that you just copied from Psalm 27, 4 through 6, are right there on that card. And that is also in the NASB version. And I want to let you know what we're going to do with those. People who have been here before, you know what we're going to do with that. What are we going to do with that? Memorize it, right? That is a signature activity that we do at the Fall Bible Getaway every year. I believe so much in the power of memorizing Scripture. I've often said it's the single most effective discipleship tool that God has used in my life over the years. Because what it does is it sets you up for some amazing conversations with God. When that word is in your heart, God can talk to you about it at any time. Now, I know when we say the word memorize that some of us like tense up and go, but I don't know how to memorize, right? Do you know how to get home? Do you know your phone number? You know how to memorize, okay? Do you know your kid's birthday? You know how to memorize. So the more you memorize, you strengthen that muscle. And there are tools and there are, you know, ways and approaches to doing it. You kind of got to work with it and find your own best way to do it. But a lot of memorizing is just deciding that you're going to memorize. 
And being in a room of people and a group of people that are focused on that and doing it together is really going to help. So this might be something that really just helps you to get started in memorizing scripture, which, like I said, I think is a really, really powerful tool in our walk um, with Christ. So you'll notice on those cards that it's sectioned out in different colors, right? And we did that so that it's not going to feel all overwhelming to you at once. We're going to start with that first color, and that's what we're really going to try to get tonight. We also laminated them. That way you can take them to the pool or to the shower or to the beach or wherever. It doesn't matter. It can get wet. It doesn't matter. Okay? You can take it with you wherever you go. It can be something you keep in your Bible and just be something that hopefully by the end of the weekend, this word is going to be hidden in your heart. We want to all memorize it from the same version so that we can say it together. Because there's nothing more frustrating than when you're memorizing one version and somebody's sitting beside you and they're saying it wrong. And you're like, stop! Right? Because you got to all be together. So we're going to all do it in that version. So you look right there on that first line from Psalm 27... Verse 4, it says, One thing I have asked from the Lord, that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Let's say that together. One thing I have asked from the Lord, that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Let's say that one more time. One thing I have asked from the Lord, that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. I wonder tonight if that's our desire, right? One thing, if we could only ask one thing from God, would that be what it is? That we could dwell in his house all the days of our life. You know, as we think about that, let me share this about my own home life growing up. I personally grew up in a really good home, not perfect, but uh, definitely a really uh, a special place. My parents uh, loved the Lord. They were very young when they had me. I was the youngest of three, and my mom had three children under the age of three at the age of 23. <laughs> so, um, in fact, she went to the doctor to get these new things called birth control pills when she found out she was pregnant with me. So I think she was a little disappointed. Anyway, um, but I did grow up in a, in, a, in a good and loving home. Like I said, not perfect. My parents are actually still both living. They're going to be married 60 years in February. Such a blessing. Uh, my mom was actually here earlier this week. She probably made your name tag or put your folder together or something. So um, she's definitely a part of our ministry. She's on my women's ministry board. I mean, just a really, really a blessing. Um, so home was basically good for me. And, and I've always loved being at home, and I still do. But like many kids, you know, I, I had a desire to spread my wings, you know, and do my own thing and make my own home. So at the age of 18... I grew up in Newport News, Virginia, but I left there and I went all the way to Cincinnati, Ohio, about 13 hours away to college. Now, just to let you in on a little secret, I didn't go there to college because there was this great school that had this wonderful degree program for me or, you know, I had a great fondness for Ohio or anything like that. There was this guy there and his name was Greg and that's why I decided to go there. It was a very, very bad decision and I'll just save that for another time. But that was the motive of why I spread my wings and went off to Cincinnati. But fast forward from August when I first went away to school to Thanksgiving and for three months I had been away from my home that I really did love and that I, you know, enjoyed being in as I grew up. And so even though I thought, oh, I got to get out on my own, when Thanksgiving time came, I was ready to go home. And, and this was back in the 80s. There was no internet. There were no cell phones, right? If you wanted to call home, it was going to cost money because you had to, you know, pay for long distance phone calls. And so my parents and I had a plan every Sunday afternoon, I would call them on the phone and we'd get to talk for like 20 minutes because it costs money. And, you know, most, I went to a small Christian college there in Cincinnati and most of the kids that came there to school were not from far away. And so every weekend they went home and I was left in the dorm pretty much by myself. I didn't have a car, you know, so I really looked forward to that phone call. In fact, on Sundays they would close the, uh, 
cafeteria and stuff. And so if I could find a ride, somebody to take me to church, that would be good. And then maybe if they were going out to lunch and I had enough money, I would go with them. But usually on Sunday evenings, this was my thing. I would go down to the basement of the dorm and it was this old, old dorm. And so it was creepy down there. Like it had this big like heater down there and made all this noise. But I would go down there and use the phone and call my parents. And then they had this vending machine. And I would buy a bag of potato chips, and I would buy some Hostess Susie Q's. Does anybody know what Hostess Susie Q's are? They're chocolate cake with all this white cream in the middle, and they were just amazing. So that was my Sunday night dinner, and I'd call my parents, right? So it was Thanksgiving. I was ready to go home for some real food. I wanted to see my parents. So there was this um, person that went to the school that was also from our hometown, and I was going to ride home with them because I didn't have a car. So we get in the car the day before Thanksgiving. We're going to ride home, you know, 13-hour drive. We got our snacks. We're ready to go. And we're going along, and all of a sudden we realize, because there's no GPS, you know, you're trying to follow a map, all of that. We had to go through mountains of West Virginia, all this stuff. And we realized about two hours into going the wrong way that we had been going the wrong way, which meant we had to go two hours back that direction, and that added a whole four hours to the already 13-hour trip. Needless to say, 17 hours later, when we pulled in my driveway, I was so thankful to finally be home. It has been such a long drive home. I went to school there for two and a half years, and it just seemed like every time I tried to go home, there was a snowstorm or a canceled flight if I was flying home or we got caught in traffic or whatever. It just seemed like every time I tried to go home from that school, it was such a long trip. I also think about um, a couple years ago, I had the privilege to go to Italy and lead a retreat there for um, some military wives there in the um, Christian uh, function of the military spouses in Italy at this particular Air Force base. And it was such a glorious time and such a privilege to go there. I went by myself and I didn't know anybody. You know, these people had invited me to come over. I didn't know them. So it was kind of, you know, a little bit vulnerable. And I had a wonderful time. But when it was time to come home, I was ready to come home, right? And I love home. I always have loved home. But it's a long ride from Italy to America. We did that long flight. And then we get back. Finally, we flew to Philadelphia. And I was so ready to get on the plane to Newport News to come home. But there were all these bad storms that night. And so they canceled my flight. And I can remember just like laying my head on my suitcase and literally just crying because I wanted to go home. Has anybody ever like been in that kind of place? You just want to get home and you feel like you just can't get there. I know a lot of you even traveled a long way. You know, a lot of you flew on a plane today or traveled from, you know, far away to get here. And hopefully on Sunday, you're not going to feel like, am I ever going to get home? Hopefully you're going to want to maybe stay longer. I don't know. But I, I want you to identify, to think about what it feels like to have a long trip home. And I know many of you probably have stories like that too. You know, I don't know if you've ever thought about that though, the long way home in regard to your journey home to Christ. That maybe your journey has taken way longer than it should have. I know that I have felt that way. In Psalm 27, what is it that David writes? Say it with me again. One thing I have asked from the Lord, that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Can you hear that cry in David's heart for home? That he just wants to be at home with the Lord. You know, if you know anything about David's story, you know that his home life left a lot to be desired, right? If he had been sitting around the table with us in your group tonight, he probably would have shared how during his growing up years, he found more of a sense of home out in the fields with a bunch of sheep than he did with his father and his brothers in the home. And then maybe he would have told you about how in his teenage years he got invited to come into the king's palace to play the harp for him. But that ended up becoming his home because he was invited to stay there. And he ended up marrying one of the king's daughters, Michael. And he became best friends with the king's son, Jonathan. And that became his home. But it didn't take long and the king began to be jealous of him. And so literally he had to flee that home to save his life because the king was ready to kill him. In fact, many believe that he wrote Psalm 27 during the time that this was taking place when he was on the run 
for his life. And I would add probably with a deep longing for home, right? Because he hadn't felt it in his own family amongst his father and his brothers. And now how here he had found a home and now it was being ripped away from him. But he wrote as he did saying, and you can say it with me again, one thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. He wrote that because he had journeyed long enough to know and to arrive at this place of knowing in his heart that his true home was really with the Lord. His true home was really in the Father's house. It takes a long time for many of us, including me, to realize that our true home is in the Lord. That our true home is in the Father's house. We all have a story of what home has been like for us. And I know even in our group tonight, stories of all kinds and probably yours too. But for all of us, the truth is that our home is in the Lord himself. And we have to come to a place where we realize that. It is to our benefit that we do that. Tonight we're going to use Psalm 24 or Psalm 27 verse 4 as a backdrop as we also look at the storyline of scripture that's all about the long way home. So we're going to go to the Old Testament first. All right. Earlier tonight we mentioned Adam and Eve before dinner and how because of their rebelliousness God had to kick them out of his house. And it's really a sad story and then even more sad, personally sad is the fact that their homelessness became our homelessness, right? Because, you know, it's like, well, why did you do that, right? Because what they did affected all of us. The Bible says that all of us, except for Jesus, are born in the likeness of Adam. Jesus was born in the likeness of his father. That's why it's so important that he's born of a virgin, right? Because that totally changes his lineage. But for us, we're all born in the likeness of Adam, which meant that we were born separated from God. We were born homeless as far as spiritually speaking, okay? But what we must not miss is from that very, very first moment, God was actively making a way for everyone he created to come back home. Just because he kicked his kids out of the house didn't mean he wanted to, right? Did it mean that he didn't want them there? He wanted to invite us back into his presence to experience the home that he designed for us and that he knows is best for us. Now, God knew at the very beginning it was going to be a long way home, but he would make a way for us if we truly wanted to be in his house. And God has never ever given up on that desire for us. He's always, if you can think of it this way, left a key under the mat, right? And the light on for anybody who would be willing to take him up on his invitation, even in the darkest of times. So you look through the pages of scripture and you find that just 10 generations after Adam and Eve were banned from the garden. It was so dark in this world. In Genesis chapter 6, it tells us that God looked down from heaven and it says that it was so dark that God was sorry he even made man. You know why? It says every inclination of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil all the time. That's what God saw when he looked down. Just 10 generations from Adam and Eve. But God saw one man named Noah who was righteous. Doesn't mean he was perfect, but he had a longing to know the Lord, to be in God's presence. So God created a space, a home, right, for Noah and his family. We know Noah and the ark, God made an ark, and that spared them from the destruction that was happening all around them. And the story continues. And over and over you read all through the Old Testament you find while most everybody else was running from home and ignoring God's invitation, there was always somebody who wanted to be in God's presence. And many times the Bible highlights them for us. So we look at their stories. The details of the stories are different, but there's this theme that runs through all these stories as you go through the timeline of the Old Testament, a theme of invitation to be in the house of God, to live and to move and to have our being, to have our presence, to have our life dwelling in him. 
For instance, you look at Abraham. He's early on in the book of Genesis. And we see God called him to leave his home, right? And to go and find a new home. He didn't even know where it was going to be. God just said, go. And I'm going to show you where this new home would be. And that God would provide for him and his family in ways that he couldn't even imagine. Joseph, we look at his story, also still in the book of Genesis, and we see that through the evil of his brothers, he was ripped away from his home, right? And all that he knew. But through the trials of it, God kept inviting him into his presence. And he built a home for Joseph in a new land that then he used Joseph to be able to provide a home for his brothers when they were homeless, right? And that has all kinds of implications in the story of the gospel. We won't go there tonight. But then you keep going forward. You see Moses. And his story is so interesting and so connected to home. I mean, he has so many things going on here. In his life, as a baby, he wasn't allowed to stay in his home. Why? Because Pharaoh was trying to kill all the babies in their homes. And so his mother took him and put him in a basket and made that to be a little home. And then the, you know, the um, king's daughter saw him and she took him into the palace. The palace became Moses' home for a time. But even that, he got taken away from that and he ended up homeless in the desert. But then God called him to stand on the holy ground of his presence. And he said, I'm going to use you to lead my children home. To be the one that ushers his children into what God called the promised land, right? Which was to be a home for them, flowing with milk and honey, which was symbolic of, I want to bring you into my presence and provide for you, just like I wanted to do in the garden. I want to draw you to myself. And in fact, in that long journey that Moses was used to take the children of Israel from Egypt to the promised land, God had Moses do something really unique in the wilderness. And he called him and gave him very specific plans how to build God's house, how to build the tabernacle in the wilderness. And I don't know if you've ever studied the tabernacle before, but it's fascinating. Every detail of the tabernacle is so telling of being in relationship with Jesus. And we'll hold that thought for a little while later throughout the weekend. But, you know, we could really just stay on Moses all day long because there's an indefinite theme of calling home that God worked through Moses on so many levels. In his own life, he dealt with that. Um, for the children of God, he was a leader in all of that. And then through the literal image of the tabernacle that points to Christ, God was doing this, this work of calling home. Over and over and over again through the stories of the Old Testament, God is illustrating our lost state and our need to be at home in him. Even in Hebrews, which is in the New Testament, but it's writing about the Old Testament, it describes Moses as somebody who was faithful in God's house. He was faithful to do what God called him to do in his house and to be in the house of God. There were others who came after Moses as well. Um, we see the same theme of God calling home. Joshua. You know that scripture where Joshua stands up before the people and he says, Choose you this day whom you're, you're going to serve, but as for me and what my house, we're going to serve the Lord. There was a longing in Joshua. He rose up above all the other leaders in, in the um, Jewish nation at the time. And he was like, no, we are going to follow God. We are going to serve him. We are going to trust God. He had a longing in his heart. He wanted to dwell with him. There was always at least one, sometimes more, who longed to be in the presence of the Lord, in the house of the Lord. Meaning they longed for their life to be at home in God himself. They wanted the key to knowing and dwelling in the Lord. And we see them all along this journey. Gideon is another one we, that we see. Gideon was actually willing to stand up against his father's house to make sure that he could have the blessing of the Lord upon he and his house. There was David who wrote our focus passage. What's that verse he wrote that we're memorizing tonight? One thing I have asked from the Lord, that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And then Solomon was David's son. And you know what he built, right? He built 
the temple, which at the time was considered to be the house of the Lord. They took that same image that God had given to Moses in the wilderness and they built it in much grander fashion and it became the Lord's temple. And then you look at the prophets like Elijah. You know, Elijah is so interesting to me. I can't wait to talk to him one day when I get to heaven. But God allowed Elijah to not even die on the earth. He took him home in a fiery chariot. And, and I always wonder, how did that like happen? Like, did one day Elijah just say, God, I'm, I'm just done here. Would you just take me home? And God would be like, okay, sure. Send in a chariot today. Because I've certainly felt like that sometimes this year, especially like, God, just send the chariot today. Let's get out of here, you know. But, but he wanted to go home. There was this desire in his heart to go home. I think about Daniel, too, who was so careful. Even uh, though he lived in a foreign land, he longed for the presence of God so much. He was so careful to protect that desire in his heart that he was willing to open up the windows and sit facing heaven, praying three times a day, knowing that his life could be executed for doing that. He longed to be in God's presence, to be in his house. So there's so many. Are you following with me? I know you're like, gosh, this is a lot. Well, and there's more. We won't even go into all of them. But all through the Old Testament, God was calling his people home. And we see their response. But here's the thing. By the time we land in the New Testament, it's sad to say, but God's people are not at home. In fact, they don't even have a home. Physically, their home, the land that God had given them, that promised land that he gave through Moses and Joshua when the walls fell down and they took over Jericho. That land that God had given them had been taken over by one nation after another. And at this time, in the New Testament, it was ruled by the Romans. And all of that happened because time and again, God's children even though God was calling them home, continued to rebel and say, nope, we want to do life our own way. They had rebelled against his house. And spiritually, they were orphans as well. I mean, they, yes, were still God's children in name, but most were not in heart. They were lost in sin and in legalism, and they didn't even know their heavenly father and the glories of his house. And you think about that as we kind of fast forwarded all through that history really quickly, but how had that happened? Like after all of these invitations from God to come home, one prophet, one leader after another, and all the provisions that God had made, all the spanning of time over centuries, why were they not thriving in the Father's house? Well, both physically and spiritually, God had sent the invitation, but they had not come home. Kind of sobering, isn't it? But then, God sent Jesus. An invitation in the flesh. Jesus came, bringing an invitation in person. And really, keys in hand to make a way for us to come back into his Father's house. The journey was long. This had been going on since the Garden of Eden, right? The long way home. But God doesn't give up. In the book of Hebrews... Chapter 1, it begins the book of Hebrews and it says this, God, after he spoke long ago to the prophets in the fathers, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us through his son. And what that's saying is that throughout the time of the Old Testament, it's really putting everything that I just told you in one little sentence. And you might be like, well, why don't you just do it? tell us like that instead of all of those details? But it's important to hear the whole story. But it's putting all of that into a nutshell and saying, look, I spoke through this prophet and I did it in this prophet and this prophet and this leader. And I did all of this. But now in these last days, I'm speaking in my son. God sent Jesus to bring invitation to his children to come home. And Jesus spoke that invitation in a lot of different ways. But tonight, we're going to look at a story in the New Testament that Jesus told to bring this invitation to life. And you're probably familiar with it. In fact, uh, we encouraged you to read this story in Luke chapter 15 before you came to Fall Bible Getaway. It's the parable of the prodigal son. Now, to put, if you want to turn to Luke chapter 15, you can with me. But 
To put this story in a proper perspective and in its setting, I want you to understand that Jesus shared this parable in response to a question that was asked of him by the religious leaders of the time that they were making accusation. They were really being very critical of him. And basically what they said was, this guy, he thinks he's so great. Why is he eating with sinners? Why is he doing that? And Jesus' response to them was not to explain why he was eating with sinners. His response was to tell them the story of the prodigal son. So basically what he was doing was saying, of course I eat with sinners. I want everyone who is far from home to know they are welcome at my table and in my house. And we find this story, like I said, in Luke chapter 15. And I know that many of you are familiar with it. You've read it. But I just want to recap the first handful of details. And then we're going to look closely at um, some of the ending part. But basically, in verse 12, you see the younger brother. There's two brothers. And the younger one wants to basically go his own way. He tells his dad, give me my share of the, the estate. And in verse 13, we find that he goes a long way off. All right. So he really wants to be as far away from home as he can be. He wants to do his own thing. But in verse 14, we find that he spent everything. He squandered. No surprise, right? That happens a lot of times. And then all of a sudden, he's in need. He's, he's in a bad way. Verse 15, we find that he went and attached himself to one of the citizens of that country. In other words, he got a job. Right? And he was like, okay, I gotta work now. I, I, I've used all of my inheritance. And, and the guy gave him this job to go feed, um, the pigs in the field. And then as we continue to read on, we find that he has a moment where he comes to his senses and he realizes, I would be better off to be a servant in my father's house than to be sitting in this field feeding these pigs. So that's the flow of the story. But what we really want to look at tonight is the Father's heart. I want to read verses starting in verse 20. And it says, He got up. This is right after it tells us about how he came to his senses. He says, He got up, he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Do you see the Father's heart? How longing he is to see his son. And the son said to him, Father, there's a repentance here. I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fattened calf, kill it, and let us eat and be merry. In other words, the father's just pulling out everything he can think of to say, I am so elated. This is what I've wanted. This is what I've longed for. And he says, for this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to be married. See, not only do many get to a place spiritually where we have a deep longing in our hearts to come home, just like the son did. But what we see is that our father all along has been longing for us to come home. He wants us to be there. He's watching He's waiting. Every time we've continued to push away from him or move further in a direction away, he's still standing there waiting and watching and looking a long way off, thinking we will come home. He's ready to celebrate our return. Jesus hung out with sinners because he wanted them to know, I see you. I'm waiting for you. I want you to be at home. I'm holding a key in my hand for you so you can live in my house. Right? The story of the prodigal son, I think it touches our hearts. Hopefully tonight, but in other times probably that you've read it as well. Because in one way or another, we all identify, right, with the son. We've all made our way far off away from our father, desired to do our own thing, probably squandered some of the blessings that God gave us, right? Had an arrogant attitude, all kinds of things. And we all probably have stories of why our journey home took longer than it should have. See, this son should have gotten a little ways down the road and realized, oh, I'm making a horrible mistake. 
He probably, I wonder what it was like that day when he left, if the father was calling after him, you don't have to leave. I don't want you to go. Please come back. But he didn't listen. He kept going further and further away. I wonder if his father sent him messages at different times. Hey, the door's open. You can come home. And he just ignored them or put them off. You know, who knows? But we all probably, if our heart is tender at all, can identify with this. But we need to see God's heart. No matter how long, and sometimes it's very long, right? But no matter how long it takes us to get there, God waits and he watches because his desire is for us to be at home in him. What an amazing moment it is, right? When we decide to accept his invitation and to say, it would be so much better for me to be in my father's house and then to experience what it's like when we see our father watching and waiting for us and holding out his arms open wide. When I grew up in church, I grew up singing hymns in my church, and maybe some of you did too. But you might remember this hymn if you grew up singing hymns like me, but it it started off like this, softly and tenderly. Anybody know this? Jesus is calling, right? Calling for you and for me. See on the portals, and I never knew what a portal was. I looked it up the other day. It's the porch, all right? See on the portal. So he's standing on the porch, watching and waiting watching for you and for me. If you know it, you can sing it with me. They would say, come home, come home, ye who are weary, come. And they would do it like this. They would go on and on and we'd all stand there and sing it. And I would always think, why do they do that, right? But then the last line was calling, oh sinner, come home. And I would sing that over and over and over again. And you know, we can sing words, but sometimes not let that really penetrate our hearts. Because I too have my own long story and long journey of coming home. You know, the style of that song is is outdated. I get it. But the words are truth. Because from the very beginning, God has wanted his children to be in his house. And that's why Jesus came with an invitation. You know, when you get an invitation, it usually includes details, right? If you're like me, a lot of times you put them up on the fridge because you know you got to remember, okay, it's on this date and we're supposed to wear this and we got to remember it's at this time and I got to RSVP to da da da, whatever. You know, an invitation includes details. As we read through many of the interactions that Jesus had with people throughout the Gospels, we get to see the details of his invitation to us. And we certainly don't have time tonight to look at all of them, but we're going to zoom in on a few. And they're related to the scriptures that you copied, okay? And they show us so much of the Father's heart. One thing that we see is that he invited us to rest. What is it that you copied from Matthew 11? Jesus said, come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There's nothing like being able to rest at home, right? Home, if home has a good connotation in your heart, right? And I understand for some people it doesn't because home has been a hard place maybe in your life. But a healthy home, right? A home that's a home like it should be is a place where you can feel at peace where you can let yourself relax, where you can just be yourself. Speaking physically of getting in your bed, there's nothing like climbing into your bed, right? Even if the sheets are dirty, it's still your bed, right? Um, But, you know, getting in your bed where you can set the temperature just right in your room, right? And you are familiar with that and you find that comfort there. I love climbing into my bed at night. I feel at home. There's a sense of rest that comes with being at home. When Jesus is inviting us home, he's inviting us to a place of rest. Now, we know that that's not meaning just lay around on the couch all day, right? But there's that sense of rest in our hearts, rest in our minds, rest in our emotions. Jesus' invitation is definitely an invitation to rest. We also see in the invitation that Jesus issued an invite to join in what I would call the family business. Jesus said in Mark 1.17, you copied this, follow me and I will make you what? Fishers of men. You know, when you really belong in a family, if that family has a business, 
Most times you join in in one way or the other. If you grow up on a farm, you milk the cows, right? If your family has a restaurant, you grow up working in that restaurant. You join in on the purpose of that family. And that's the dynamic of a healthy home. Even if you don't have a business, but you know, it's, it's good when your children are at home that everybody has jobs and they have purpose that it's not like just mom being the slave in the house, but that everybody's joining in and contributing and, and giving to the family purpose in the house of God, the purpose of the business in the family, the kingdom of God is to bring salvation to people, to bring healing to people, to bring love and blessing and the goodness of God. And Jesus, when he's inviting us to come home, he's saying, I want you to get involved in what we're doing. We're, we're about redemption for people. We're about salvation for people. We're about people finding life in the salvation of Jesus. We're about people being made whole and healed and experiencing the goodness and the blessing of God. And we want you to help do that. And Jesus is inviting us into that when he invites us home. Another detail is this, and you copied it from John fifteen four. Jesus said, abide in me. And I in you. Abide means to stay. Right? It means to settle in and not leave. Jesus' invitation was not for us to come for a nice little visit for the weekend. But to come and stay. He wants to give us a key. So that we can make him our home. And there's so much blessing as we do. After this long trip. We can really live and really abide. And just trust that we belong there, right? Being at home in Him forever. Psalm 91 reveals so much of what it's like to abide in Christ. It actually begins, He who abides in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shelter of the Almighty. And so it's all about abiding in the Lord. And as you read through that, we're not going to get into it tonight, but there's just a few dynamics I want to pull out from it. You find in that place of abiding, of staying there, like of settling in, not just a quick visit, but settling in, that you find a sense of security. You find a sense of affection and you find a sense of belonging. Do you know that most people, and I'm pretty certain including all of us, spend our whole life looking for those things? Security, affection, belonging. They're in the Father's house. They're in the Lord. That's where they're found. And see, what we really want to understand tonight as we begin this weekend is that As we are believers in Jesus, we come to understand that the Father's house is really Christ himself. Christ is the Father's house. That's why over and over and over again in the New Testament, what is the phrase you hear? In Christ, right? You are in Christ. You dwell in Christ. You abide in Christ. You live and move and have your being. Is that not just everyday life? Where you dwell, where you live... In Christ. See, once Jesus came, there was going to be a big shift in the address of God's house. No longer was it going to be a garden or an ark or a tabernacle or a um, land flowing with milk and honey or a temple. These were just all pictures of what it would be to be at home in Jesus. That's why earlier, you know, I mentioned how the tabernacle was like literally a picture of relating to Jesus. That was God's house. But now Jesus himself is God's house. In fact, um, sometimes in the scripture, the Bible calls our body a tent, right? In the Old Testament, the tabernacle was literally a tent when they first started constructing it. Later, it became the temple. You know what Jesus said about himself? He said, destroy this temple, talking about himself. And in three days, what did he say? I'll raise it up again. He was talking about himself. He is the Father's house. And on the cross, he opened up his arms wide and gave the greatest invitation ever, basically saying, come Home. I want you to come home and abide in me. It was a very long journey from the Garden of Eden all the way through the Old Testament into the New. But the reality is the Father's house has been established. It is built. Jesus is the Father's 
house, living and abiding in him. Now, in our lives and in our culture and trying to make sense of what the Father's house is, a lot of times we think of it in various ways. That's why even at the table tonight, I asked you, or I didn't ask you, your leaders asked you, but we presented the question, you know, what do you think of when you think about the Father's house? Because you might have even heard that song that we sang tonight before you ever came here. You might have been singing it, you know, on Christian radio or whatever. But sometimes we don't really stop and think about what is the Father's house? Is it the church building? Is it the family of God? Is it, you know, heaven? Is it a garden? Is it where I feel at peace with Christ? I mean, what is the Father's house? And I would say that none of those answers are necessarily wrong, right? But what is right and what we know for sure is that Christ himself is the Father's house, who we dwell in. And yet, that's very hard to kind of wrap our minds around because how do you dwell in a person, right? So we're going to be talking some this weekend in metaphor, and yet we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to translate these things that we're very used to when we think about what does a house look like or smell like or, you know, all these different things that we live in physically. But we're asking the Holy Spirit to help us to translate them spiritually for us to where we can literally grab hold of this weekend what it means to dwell in Christ, what it means to really live in him. We're going to dig deeper into that. David said, one thing I have asked from the Lord. Say this with me. One thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. So we're going to explore that. But before we do, we want to pause and just ask a couple questions. And the first one would be, where are you in your journey home to Christ? And perhaps we can use this story that Jesus told of the prodigal son to personally ponder that. I hope that you are unpacked and settled in, right? Like you know your room, you keep the key with you all the time, you've seen the father waiting on the porch and you've been living there and you just wake up every day to his smile of love over your life, you enjoy his company, you follow his ways, you rest in his care, you work alongside him in his purpose, you're at rest in his house. I hope that is your answer, right? And that you could just say, yeah, I've got the key right here. (laughs) That's where I've been dwelling for a long time. But what I have found in my own life and in many others' lives is just over the years of ministry and just doing life, people have shared with me, and I, I can look inside my own experience, many people, even who have accepted Jesus, are still standing on the doorstep of their father's house with their heads held in shame, thinking, I've got to work to earn my keep here or to get in the door. Or, Julie, earlier today, we were praying for you guys before you arrived, and, and, and it came out in prayer, you know, that maybe some of us, we, we are in the door, but we think, well, i got to take the really bad room down in the basement, because that's really all I should get. And that might be the mindset that flows on the inside of our hearts. A lot of people who've heard the invitation over and over again are still a long way off. Or they just began the journey. It's still a long way home. And and I look around me every day and I see so many people who haven't even started the journey yet. Like they don't want to hear the invitation. They tear it up when it arrives in their presence, right? They're still thinking it's better to be out in the world than in their father's house. So, you know, I, I don't know where you're at, but you need to ponder that. I think the Lord brought you here this weekend so you would ponder that and think about, in light of this invitation, where am I? Have I received my key to his house, the key with my name on it? And and, and have I moved in? Is that where I dwell in Christ? And, And we'll be talking about that more this weekend, but I want you to ponder that tonight. And I know I keep mentioning a key, and you've probably seen keys a lot already, right? We've given you a key. We've got a key on your cup. There's a key on the side of your journal. There were keys all over the table. I mean, there's keys everywhere, right? So why the emphasis on a key? And what does that really mean anyway? Well, you know, for a key to really work, for it to really open the door, it has to be the right key, right? 
Have you ever like tried to use the wrong key and, and it doesn't work? Or have you ever like gotten a key cut, but they didn't cut it just right and it still doesn't work? Like the, the laser cut wasn't precise and so that key didn't work. If it's just a little bit off, a key is not going to work. Throughout scripture, God has been very clear that he was giving the key to Jesus that would open the door to the abundant life that he promised and that he created in the very first place in the Garden of Eden. In fact, in Isaiah 22, verse 22, it's a prophecy, but it says, Then I will set the key of the house of David on his shoulder. And it was speaking of Jesus, that God was going to give the key to Jesus. He would bear the weight of that key. Jesus holds the key, but I believe he's willing to give us a copy. I think that's what the New Testament is all about. This invitation that he brings and to say, here, you can have a key and Raven, you can have a key and Rebecca, you can have a key and Kim, we all can have a key with our name on it where we know this is my house. I dwell here. I was seeking the Lord as I knew he was just putting this impression of a key on our hearts for this weekend. And I really wanted God to distinguish. So what is what does that key mean? One morning, the Lord woke me up just with this scripture resounding in my heart over and over again. You copied it just a few moments ago from Ephesians 2, 18. It says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. And God impressed on my heart so strongly that morning that those are the laser cuts in the key. Those are the distinctions of the key that Jesus gives us to living in him. See, we can know that we have the right key when we are inserting or gaining access to Christ by faith or by grace through faith, not of ourselves. It's the gift of God. Every time that key is going to open the door into the presence of God, into the fullness of Christ. But if you leave one of those distinctions out, you're going to be on the doorstep trying to get in. You're not going to feel that sense of being in your father's presence. So we're going to even be mentioning those distinctions throughout the weekend by grace, through faith, not of ourselves. It's the gift of God. We don't deserve to live in the house. We don't. We don't deserve to come in. We don't deserve to be able to sit down. We don't deserve to be able to eat at the table. We do need to be in the basement if we're allowed in at all. If we were going on merit. But it doesn't have anything to do with that. It's about the Father's house that has been from the very beginning. Longing for us to come. And willing to have the patience to endure the long way home. That we often choose. But he's still waiting. Watching on the portals. Singing softly, tenderly come home, right? Come home. So where are you? And here's your second question. Have you taken hold of your key? In a moment, we're going to have some dessert. The Julie Cooks Cooks and Kim are going to serve some good dessert for us. And I want to encourage you to grab some of that and fellowship some more. But here's what we also want to encourage, and it's something that we do every year at Fall Bible Getaway on the first night. We have what we call a roommate devotion time, okay? And so after you spend about 20 minutes or so having your devotion, we want to encourage you to make your way to your room, and you and your roommates, and for some of you that's more than one, some it's one, but you spend time together working through Um, It's right here in your folder. It says, you know, Thursday night roommate devotion. And just, it's just going to be a recap of some of the thoughts. You know, sometimes it just takes a little bit of intention to start conversation that goes deeper than, oh, what are you wearing tomorrow? You know, kind of thing. And, and, And a lot of times we don't know how to do that as women. Especially um, if we've just kind of gotten into a pattern or maybe our relationship hasn't been about, you know, things that have a depth to it. I want my life personally, the friendships that I have, I want them to be deep. I want to be able to talk about things with 
one another that go beyond the surface. And it takes intention to do that. So we're opening up the door for you to do that tonight. And what we want to encourage is that that's just what it is, an open door. And then for the rest of the weekend, that you're just intentional about hey, saying, hey, let's practice this verse together because we've got to learn this thing, right? And Or, hey, what did you think about that this morning? What is God saying to you? Or can I pray for you about that? I, I, I sense that, you know, what, whatever, how the Holy Spirit leads. God's not just up here in the, you know, gathering space. He's in your rooms and he wants to be a part and present all throughout. This is his house, right? So I'm going to pray for us. And um, I just encourage you to, you know, enjoy the dessert, enjoy some fellowship, but then make sure that you do those roommate devotions. Also, when I'm done praying, Nicole's going to give us a few directions for tomorrow morning that you want to listen for. So just kind of stay put. God, I thank you for your word so good it's so rich even for stories we've heard maybe many times god sometimes your word just pierces us lord right to the heart and god i pray as we ponder and think on these questions i i I love where it says in your words in psalms that you desire truth in our inmost being and so i pray that we would let your word go all the way into the core of who we are And that we would be trusting and willing enough to share and to let you do a work in our lives over the time of this weekend and our roommate devotion tonight. God, thank you for your house and that you give us a key. We're so, so grateful for Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, ladies. Thank you.